Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. The attack on all your senses from minute one. It was incredible. Don't just hand over this life. Educate yourself. I welcome anything that will help to protect the children for everyone. The same spiel we get from them. Very little respect. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Text or WhatsApp 0833-969696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Okay, um, before we get out of the blocks this morning, just a nod to the biggest story still in the news for the last week and will be for a long, long time to come, I suspect, and that is the murder of Ashling Murphy. Uh, we now know that a man is in custody, having been formally charged with her murder. His name is Joseph Pushka. He's originally from Slovakia. He's 31 years old. He was brought before Tullamore District Court last evening for a special sitting, and the court was given a evidence of arrest, charge and caution and he was then remanded in custody for a week to appear at uh, Clover Hill next week. Your newspapers are full of it this morning. The details, the photographs, the description of what happened inside and outside the court and that is where we must stop it because there's a thing in the coverage of the courts where once a case comes before the court and once that case is formally open then the best thing for me to do and the best thing for social media to do is to shut up and get on with it and last night uh, social media was full of all sorts of nonsense and blather about this and that and the other and saying this and that and the other and the only advice is please hold your fire cool your jets the process is underway. It's not a perfect process by any manner of means, but it's a process. So we now stop talking about it until the process is complete. And the only thing we talk about is progress in the process from now on. So that's where we'll be standing on that story from here on in. Uh, good morning. Michael McGrath got to his feet yesterday afternoon. We knew it was coming. Uh, we just wondered who it was going to be for. The value of the contribution of our healthcare workers on the front line uh, cannot be overstated. And I am pleased that we have today agreed measures to recognise their hard work, bravery and indeed sacrifice. The government believes it is appropriate at this time that a once-off tax-free payment of €1,000 
be provided to, for all eligible uh, public service healthcare and ambulance workers in recognition of their efforts. We did rec- request a conversation with the Minister this morning on the opinion line, but he's unfortunately not available to us. So who does get this? thousand euro. Well, frontline healthcare workers in nursing homes, porters and cleaners in healthcare, hospice workers, student nurses, members of the defence forces who were seconded to healthcare roles, vaccination centres, swab centres, they'll all be eligible. Nurses and doctors, obviously in the hospitals, everybody in the public hospitals, they're all eligible. However, workers in private hospitals are not eligible. The Department of Health will publish a full list in the, the coming days. But this morning, people are already saying, well, that's great, that's there for them, it's there for them, it's there for them, it's not there for them, not there for them, not there for them. People are already looking at the list of who this is for and saying, well, why aren't they on it? And, and why isn't he on it? And why, for example, workers in pharmacies who had people coming into them, possibly suffering from COVID or thought they might be suffering from COVID, they went to the pharmacy, the pharmacy workers, not included in this. Now, the minister there saying on the news at nine o'clock that, well, look, if we tried to include everybody that felt they were entitled to it, so the bill would spiral out of control and we'd never know where to draw the line. He's got a point. He's got a point. But I'd like to know what you think. I'm not going to pass any judgment on it myself. I'd like to know what... I know it's unusual for me. I'd like to know what you think about this €1,000 tax-free, once-off payment, which I think they're telling us everybody will get before the end of March. Everybody that's entitled to it will get before the end of March. I'd like your thoughts at 0818 96 96 96. I don't know if family carers get anything. Do they, Laura? Good morning to you. Hi, good morning. Um, I I don't know yet. Um, Family Carers Ireland and Care Champions, and obviously a lot of us carers are calling for us to be included. Yeah. So yeah. it would be amazing if we were, and in a way, I think we definitely have a right to, because nearly all of the sports just disappeared over the pandemic, and yeah. it was just us on our own. Yeah. Tell so me, tell me, tell me about your own situation, Laura. Um, I care for my little guy. He's eight. Um, he had a stroke at birth, so he has multiple disabilities. He's physical disabilities. He's in a wheelchair. Um, he's fully dependent for everything. He has epilepsy. He has a shunt in his brain. He has asthma. He has a few other minor things as well. But he's very good. He's he's a brilliant little boy. He's happy and loving and everything. But it is hard work, like day to day, it's a lot harder than if he didn't have these conditions, if you know what I mean. Does he need round the clock support, um, Laura? He does, he does, yeah. And <clears throat> last year, like he shunt, you have to watch that constantly because last year he has three operations and it failed three times last year and it can just happen without warning and when it does happen you just have to get him to hospital right away because he could be taken from us if you didn't so yeah as long with the care there's kind of the constant worry as well that builds up you know and and uh, when the pandemic hit what kind of supports did you lose because of that 
Well, our main support is school. School is amazing. He just loves his school. He's in special school in Charleville and every one of them is just nicer than the other one. They're just brilliant and he loves it. But obviously that was gone for everybody for a while. And now because of COVID and uh, he gets a lot of kind of colds and stuff. So he's actually only two days this year so far because he's not allowed in with a cold. So that's kind of gone again. Um, The other thing is the care support. We are supposed to have care support, but we waited two years for someone to fill the role. And then they got somebody and then that person quit the day before we met them. And then they got another person about a year later and she came out and she was absolutely lovely, but she had no training. She couldn't hoist, she couldn't do personal care, she couldn't, she was really nice, but not practically useful to us at all. She wasn't prepared (laughs) for the situation she was coming into. No, yeah, yeah. It wasn't her fault. It's just that the training isn't there beforehand. They just fill the bodies and that's it. They don't put the time into the... May may I know your son's name? Could you tell me your son's name? Is that just with me? Simon. What is it? Simon. Simon. So tell me a typical day for you and Simon and, say, his dad. What's a typical day? Um, well, his dad works long hours, so at the weekend he's around, but during the week he's gone before we get up. And then he comes home about half an hour before bedtime, so he's kind of out of the running during the week. Yeah. Um, a typical day is, I suppose he's not a million miles away from another child, except you have to feed him and you have to get him out of bed. I, I, I lift him, he's 60 kgs, but I'm still lifting him. Um, so I get him out of bed and just give him his medicine and his breakfast and stuff. Like if, if nothing's wrong with him, a typical day isn't, isn't that hard because I'm so used to it. Do you know, it's just, mm. well, it's just any given day there could be something, some new issue or something crops up. Yeah. But I suppose, I'm, I don't know, It's I'm just so used to it now, I suppose, like, he still has to have nappies changed if you, we can't go out and about for too long because there's no changing places. Yeah. So if he has a nappy when you're out, you have to be close enough to come home to do it. Um, I suppose it does curtail a lot. I have two other little girls and they'd love to be out and about for days, but we have to pick and choose where we go because he's really sure can't go in certain places and... You have to be mindful of trying to get somewhere that you would be able to change him if, if well, obviously he's going to need to be changed. Yeah, there's an awful lot of things to, to bear in mind, which there other, is, there other is. parents don't have. You, clearly, you do this because you love him. You love the bones of him. But, but at the same time, yeah. a bit of support would help, yeah. wouldn't it? It really would. It would. To be honest, I do, I do nothing anymore. No. Like just mm. care for my family and that's it. I couldn't tell you the last time I've been to the cinema or, you know, just things that people think are normal and everyday things. I just don't do them anymore. I just can't. I can't leave them. So, but, yeah. and it would, it would be lovely to have that kind of normal get out and about even just to go shopping and not be worried. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like. And of course with him not in school, you don't even have that couple of hours. No, I don't. I'm gone back to getting everything delivered now again, which is like, it's great that I can, but it also means it's a bit more isolating because 
I'm not even going out and saying hello to the person behind the tills. Do you know, it's just... Yeah. You're, you're, you're really still in lockdown, crazy. Laura, aren't you? Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. it is. How, yeah. do you, how do you feel you, about that? Um, to be honest, I just try not to focus on it because it would upset you and it is lonely, but you just kind of try your best to get on with it because I have three kids here and they're beautiful kids and they just, like, they don't want a sad mommy. <laughs> you know, they want they want their fun and they want, uh, I, I try and keep them as happy as possible and then, do you know, that's about all I have the energy for, really, to be honest. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. Even, even, I can't imagine what it would be like to just simply get out in the mid-morning for a walk and a coffee and a chat with someone about anything other than than sick children. I know, that sounds nice. <laughs> it might happen someday. <laughs> yeah, your hope would be that, like, what, what are the prospects of him being in school, say, anytime soon? Um, I honestly don't know unless they change the rules that, that you, like, at the moment you can't be in school even with a cold and he has asthma and he has like he's he's his muscles wouldn't be the same as another child, so he picks up something, but he'll keep it for longer than somebody else will sure. as well. So, sure. to be honest, the way the rules are at the moment, he'll probably be in a day or two out a week, in a day or two out a week. Yeah. That's the way it's been going since September, anyway. So. And I guess Laura, with a little boy like Simon, it's eight years of age. It's not the kind of thing that you can say to your next door neighbour. Mary, would you watch him for me for no. an hour? You can't do that. No, it's really not. He has epilepsy, so he has emergency medication for that. And thank God we haven't used it in a long time because he actually had surgery for his epilepsy. It was so bad and it's much better now. But at the same time, it's still a risk. And then he shunt as well. That can come on suddenly and it's very serious. And the signs of it aren't totally obvious in the start. So... You couldn't, you just literally couldn't. And even from a lifting him and changing him point of view, there's just nobody that you could ask to come in and do that and, you know, feel safe leaving the house. Unless they're properly trained and proper professional support, you know, that just isn't there. But I'm not the only one there. It's it's the same across the board. Like I'm in a couple of groups online and stuff, like care champions and stuff. And, um, single one of them their care hours are like a third of what they should be or they they're meant to have carers and on the day nobody just shows up to the door no warning nothing it's just you know they might have planned a dental appointment or something and like just nobody shows up to to let them go that's that's very ad hoc you can't live like that it is it is the system is just completely it's just mismanaged and broken it's just it's not fit for purpose as is but it's not the carer's fault. Like everybody that we've dealt with has been, the individuals within it have been just lovely yes. and brilliant. It's it's not their fault that if they're sick, nobody comes out to cover. Do you know, it's, it's management really that this needs to be yeah. sorted out a bit better. And I know I opened by saying that you're not on that list as far as you can tell you know you're not on that list and neither are the thousands of others like you around the country not on that list yeah. of who's getting a thousand so far euro. we're not but I really hope that they listen to us and include us because like oh, what I would you, haven't what would you be able to do with that either. thousand euro if you got it Laura 
Um, in all honesty, this is going to sound really sad, but I will put it into a savings account for the next time he goes into hospital. That's not sad. When he That's goes, not sad. Yeah. When he goes in, there's always extra costs. So, like, at least it would give me that cushion that if he did go in, that I'm not going, oh, no, I can't even pay for the parking. <laughs> you know, it's like... I know. But, um, my heart goes out. Yeah, as as no, a parent, my heart goes out. Thanks, Laura. I'll let you dwelling get... on the bad points because mm. he is amazing. Well, tell me, so... yeah, tell me how wonderful but... he is. Tell me how brilliant he is. Go on, <laughs> go on, tell me. He's a great little guy. He's he's just loves music and singing. He's hardly no words. He's mostly nonverbal, but he has about like a hundred songs. He just sings really? in the middle of the night. He sings. Yeah, he's brilliant. He's so cute. So but, he doesn't um, he doesn't talk he much, but he sings. He sings all day. Like you can actually possibly even hear him in the background now. Uh, yeah. Just that's his way of talking. If you want your attention, he'll sing a little song at you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it's that's lovely. That's, so there's certainly some communication, isn't in in there, isn't there? Definitely. Oh, he can really tell you what he wants. Yeah, Very if he's good. cross at you, he won't be long letting you know. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, you go and take care he's of that wonderful, guy. beautiful little boy and his two sisters. And I know, I know, Dad is working so hard to support you all. That's he is, and he's a brilliant dad. He is. It's not his fault that he's out all day. He's amazing when he is here. All right. So, all right. All yeah. right. Thanks very much. Laura, look after yourself. Okay. Look after Simon. Look after his sisters. Look after yourself. Look after Mammy. Mammy needs to look after her. Mammy and someone needs to look after Mammy. And just think, if she got the thousand euro, if she got Michael McGrath's grand, what's she going to do? Put it into an account so the next time he has to go into hospital, it doesn't hit so hard. Perspective, my friends. Perspective. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. They can call me. Wayne Hilton. Wayne Hilton. The Weekend. On Cork's 96FM. Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne Teaser question. There's the latest celebrity goss. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m. With Newmarket Motors Volkswagen. Where you can test drive the full Volkswagen range. Including the all-electric ID3 and ID4. See newmarketvolkswagen.ie. On Cork's 96FM. Responses coming into Laura and the situation in which she and hundreds more up and down the country find themselves. And no, uh, they are not included in the list of people to get the €1,000 bonus. We don't begrudge it to anybody who is going to get it. But we wonder, are they letting lots of people out? And we accept the minister says, look, the cost would get ridiculous if we were to include everybody. Although... There are ways and means for private business and for private hospitals, anyone to do it. All the minister could say to any private business would be, look, if you want to give a bonus to your staff, then it will not be taxed and you can sort it out with revenue. So if a private hospital wants to give its workers a bonus for private, anything wants to give its workers a bonus, they can give it to them and the minister can say, well, revenue won't be charging on that 
or people could be given back money that they paid in tax in 2021 from, from revenue to kind of make everyone inclusive. But what do you do for people like Laura? They should be added to that list. I mean, think of what she said. She didn't want a holiday. She didn't want to be pampered. She didn't want to... She wanted some money to put in an account so that for the next time that young Simon is has to go to hospital, there'd be money there to cover it. Perspective. 0818 96 96 96. I'll come to some of your comments in a while. The minister responsible for the National Drug Strategy has told an Oireachtas committee that the so-called war on drugs is not an effective response. This is Minister of State Frank Feehan, who was addressing the Joint Committee on Health. Now, we've got a, a National Drugs plat- Strategy in place since 2017, but the Minister says that drug use must now be treated as a public health issue not primarily as a criminal justice matter. And he said, and I quote, let me be clear, a war on drugs is not an effective response to drug use. The war on drugs, I think he's saying is over, was lost a long time ago and maybe isn't even the right strategy. I spoke to this man about that a number of years ago, uh, UCC sociology lecturer. Uh, Pat Leahy, Pat, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. We spoke about this before. Good to speak with you again. Are they finally admitting something that you were saying many years ago? The war on drugs is over. It's never going to work. Never going to work. Well, as if you might recall, and we would have said to you there, Jesus, how, how, many, how many years ago it was, that we've known for a long time, really, um, that the, I mean, the, the idea of war on drugs was actually Richard Nixon came up with that one. And there are many kind of, how would you put it, conspiracy theories out there of one sort or another. But ultimately, I don't really go with the conspiracy theories myself. I go more with the idea that it played well to the water base that he was looking for way back in the 1970s in the USA. Um it's kind of, I suppose, it's counterintuitive in a sense that, you know, people get the idea that, okay, we do recognise that a lot of the substances that people use for recreation purposes or whatever are potentially very, very dangerous. Um, but we do know, one thing we do know about us humans is that just about every substance you could possibly imagine or manufacture, someone has, somewhere has tried it. And that's yeah. been its trajectory throughout human history. So you're really kind of battling against the tide there. The idea of a war on drugs, really, it's kind of, um, I suppose, it, it's very simplistic. And it never dealt with the complexities of the area. Um, additionally, it, I suppose I've been involved in what's known as harm reduction for quite a while, yeah. long before it was popular. Um, so I'm delighted, to be quite honest with you, that things are finally moving. But in fairness, we had um, all the chap from the Labour Party there a number of years back, Gary Ardan, who was the, the, yeah, uh, the drugs minister as such, and he was very progressive as well, it yeah. must be said, like in fairness to him. You have been an advocate but, of harm reduction for, for many a long day. Outline what that is. Pat, in brief, it's 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 a different model to what we're used to. We're used to you identify someone with an addiction problem, you hopefully put them into rehab, and hopefully they quit and they never take drink or drugs again, and and and, and that works for a lot of people. For others, it doesn't, and we have to admit that. I suppose they argue actually that it doesn't work for most people. Really? And yeah, and what you're looking at is that like, you have quite a number of people would, I suppose, lock us with our life phases as well. Most of us from the same work, shall we say, 15 to about 24, 23. That's when all the kind of crazy stuff happens, shall we say. <laughs> you know, to be, to be quite blunt about it. Um, and that goes with the age, the, the stage of life that we're actually in. And people tend to kind of, how would you put it, other things become more important as you go older. 
Mm. Now, with harm reduction, I suppose there's a number of key principles. One of it is um, that really trying to stop people using drugs that's never really worked. Actually, quite the best, probably the best single example of harm reduction I could call upon isn't to do with um, illegal drugs. It's actually do legal stuff, and it will be drink. Um, if you look over the years, right back to the 70s, um, the campaigns on drink driving, no, it's very much a harm reduction approach. The idea, because they never said don't drink. It was like, knock yourself off, get hammered. Just don't drink and drive, because mm. that's what's causing the damage, particularly to other people. So, you, I suppose, effectively, what harm reduction says is that in many cases, the actual policies that we have around drugs are causing more harm than the actual drug use itself. In Ireland, I suppose, the big, there have been a number of big changes over the years, like, you know, kind of seminal moments. The first one was really probably the, um, I suppose, HIV AIDS back in the 1980s. Um, and some of us can recall that at the time, you know, things like contraceptives were not available. Um, you know, you'd go off to get the board over to London and come back with a suitcase full of them. That was worth more than any drugs, shall we say. But as such, um, you know, when HIV arrived, it meant that moralising and legal approaches really, you know, they were at their limit. And a, a really practical public health approach had to be taken to stop AIDS. You needed uh, to control the sexual vector, as it's known, which would be transmission through sex and condoms, primary form of that. Clean up the blood supply. And finally, then uh, look at stuff like methadone maintenance, which had been around for a while, and also needle exchange to stop people, you know, with intravenous drug use with needles, basically sharing needles. Mm. The second one, then, in Irish context, really, would have been um, the assassination, effectively, of Veronica Guerin. And uh, was yeah. it 1995, if memory serves me correct? And what you 96. had there was, I suppose, was it 96? Yeah. Uh, what you had there after that, you had um, Pat Rabbit actually chaired two kind of um, interdepartmental uh, ministerial task forces on drugs and raising all of that because our first national drug strategy stretches all the way back to the, the, the late 1990s, really, and things like the drugs task forces were um, established on foot of that. So we were quite progressive and have been in some respects over the years in relation to how we approach the kind of the issues involved. Well, you get into this complexity then, but the argument here in some respects is that. Well, as when you have illegal, uh, you know, stuff known like cannabis, ecstasy, etc., uh, when that's illegal or you know, when you're criminalised for uh, possession of it, what you're actually doing is you're putting the trade into the hands of criminal organisations right. who have no no boundaries whatsoever. Um, and that in itself generates stuff like people are going to, you know, these people are going to protect their patch with stuff like knives and guns. And it, it escalates if you look at places like Mexico or Colombia. At more kind of street level, shall we say, then, it's the idea that sometimes very simple stuff like information provision. Yeah. That people know, you know, and I suppose there's also the, I suppose the axiom that basically you can never underestimate the human capacity for stupidity. You know, people are at a party or something and someone has a box of pills here, try one of them, oh yeah, you don't have any idea what you're actually putting into your body you know, and how it's going to react with you. Do people do these things? Unfortunately, they do. That's a reality. So the whole thing with harm reduction would be that it's, um, and again, bear in mind that whereas, I want to put it, most drug users are not addicts. If you look at, say, something like alcohol use, no, a lot of people use alcohol very responsibly. Yes. Some people, it, they fall into deep trouble because of their use. But there's also, I suppose, with the vast majority of, I suppose, highly problematic cases, what you can be looking at as well as combination of factors. It's not just the drinking or the drugging. There's other factors in people's lives yeah. that are affecting them as such. So what we've seen over the years is this kind of, and in the States it was particularly, I suppose, evident that um, there was an organisation at one stage called LEAP, uh, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, that was started by a retired sheriff and he said he'd spent half his career locking up people for the simple reason that they were smoking weed. Yeah. And that it was complete waste of his time. Like, they weren't criminals. 
Yeah. They were being criminalised because of smoking weed. It was, you know, taking a huge amount of police resources and it was ultimately doing no good. Um, so the idea of education, preventative programs, yeah. um, proper treatments. And then you get, I suppose, addiction treatment is suitable for some people because they are actually physically addicted to a substance. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, but, it's just little, it's, it's, one, it's one form or it's one thing to have in, in the armory, is it, where a bit like vaccines are one thing to have in the armory for, for COVID. So if we, well, now that the minister has pretty much said, right, uh, the old approach, we have to put it behind us, What's the first thing they should do uh, in look, looking ahead, Pat? I, I, maybe one of them would be something that you and I spoke about again a long time ago, injecting facilities. People go, oh my God, you can't do that, you're giving in. You're not. No, I mean, injecting facilities will be, you know, a logical step. And again, earlier on was looking into that, it kind of stalled a bit then. And I can well understand as well, of course, like that, you know, people, if you're living in a neighbourhood and someone just says, we're going to put an injecting facility next door to your house, like, <laughs> I don't think I'd be too happy with that myself. I'd be quite upfront about it. So a lot of care and thought needs to be t- uh, t- uh, put into where you actually place facilities for people. You know, that's uh, that's a reality as well. But also, in some respects, more mundane stuff, like decriminalising cannabis will probably be a good start. Also, there can be, and this has been identified in Britain as well, um, that there can be a huge, I suppose, um, amount of public attention and media attention on illegal drugs. When in actual fact, a lot of the damage is done by um, legal stuff. Yeah. Well, just, uh, just look at the level of benzo problems that we have in our, in our community, Pat. Yeah, it's, uh, well, people will use what's available. Is, and what we do know as well is that trying to stop stuff coming in, uh, be it legal or illegal, is virtually impossible. Mm. Um, you know, you could divorce, you know, you could put every shilling in the Irish budget into, you know, customs and stuff like that, and people will still get stuff in. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned alcohol. We've had the recent strategy brought in now of the minimum pricing. Uh, do you think that's going to have any real effect? Um, it's a bit of a blunt instrument, PJ. You know, it's I can see the point of it because, on the one hand, you know, there's some places there you can go to a supermarket and a, a, a can of beer is cheaper than a bottle of water, which seems a bit you know, strange. The real price of alcohol has dropped over the decades, really. So there's an there's an argument that if you have a floor on alcohol pricing, yeah, that should cut down. On the other hand, we also know that. Um, People will somehow or another get people who are really desperate, shall we say, and you know, chronic addicts or chronic alcoholics will always find the money from somewhere. Yeah. So, it, it, the argument is that it disproportionately affects the ordinary person who just wants to have a few cans. Yeah. And you know, it's like kind of one of the few things that we could get, shall we say, a bargain price has been taken away from us. On the other hand, because it's always does never with this stuff, there's never really a straightforward answer, unfortunately. On the other hand, we do know that you know, alcohol is causing tremendous damage uh, in many ways as well. Yes, yes. So it's trying to you know to moderate the damage that it actually causes or the potential for damage that it causes as well. Last so of about, about one, one minute left. The ultimate, yeah. or one of the first things people say when a minister like Frank Feehan says that the national war on drugs is not effective, effectively the national war on drugs is over, what people will say is then the pushers and the drug barons win. Your response in one minute. Um, it's to set it up that it's to look at it completely the wrong way. You know, the idea of a war really is, you know, number one, we're not fighting an army. Wars are fought between armies, you know, uh, or other nations or things like that. It's these people are not all trying to subvert the state. It's an economic issue as much as anything else. There was lots and lots of money in all manner of uh, pharmaceutical, sorry, um, psychoactive substances. So it's more an economic issue, actually. It's cut the money out 
and ergo you will you know uh, make it unattractive because there's no money in it. And uh, bear in mind, as such, your drug dealers, um, they don't exist to deal drugs; they exist to make money. All these kind of kingpin cartels and all that. If it wasn't for drugs, they'd be back kind of robbing your television and trying to pawn it. <laughs> you know, it's literally the drugs trade has allowed them to become billionaires. In some instances, I think Escobar was like something yeah. like the 10th wealthiest person in the world at one stage. And they're still finding caches of dollars belonged to him in Colombia. Like that he, you know, he, didn't, he even couldn't even remember where he, do, uh, where he actually hid it. Right. So it's the, you know, go for the money. And the cab has been very effective as that as well. So right. enlarge that model in terms of dealing with criminality. Yeah. Good to talk to you again. We, we, we could talk about this all day because it's a fascinating subject and a very unusual take on it and you always have had. Pat uh, Leahy from the UCC Department of Sociology. Thank you for being with us on The Opinion Line. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Hi, it's Elmery. Join me on Sunday morning when we take a look at what's happening in the arts in Cork and help you plan some great nights out at the theatre or see the latest films on release, catch a brilliant music gig or find the perfect book to get stuck into. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Make the perfect chip at home with their chipping potatoes. Once you taste them, you'll be back for more. Now in store. Corks 96 FM. Big response coming in to Laura. Uh, and many people responding to the situation with this €1,000 bonus. I'll get to all of those, but we're busy this morning. Uh, Councillor Joe Kavanagh, you want to, the council to commit to looking after St. Luke's Church. Now, this is the live at St. Luke's venue, isn't it? Just down the road from me here. I haven't been in it since the very early days of the concerts. What do you think needs to be done to it? Good morning. Good morning, PJ, and Happy New Year to you and, and all your team. And to you. Um, yeah, PJ, I, I just literally had um, a number of residents had approached me and I, I noticed myself because I live a couple of hundred yards away from it myself and I'm a regular visitor to St. Luke's Cross. And basically, I just asked them to clean up the, the stonework on the outside in terms of power hosing. And on the inside, um, I, I do think it does need um, a, a bit of TLC in terms of painting and you know, general refurbishment, etc. Um, there's a bit of work going on there at the moment, PJ. It's closed at the moment. There's works to the alarm system mm. um, currently underway and um, Cork City Council are in the process of procuring services and, you know, having contractors assess and tender for the works that are required to fix the alarm system, you know? Of course, it's a concert venue presently. Like, would, would the income stream from a successful concert venue... Would that help to, to cover refurbishments? Um, to be honest with you now, PJ, a, a building that size um, and in terms of maintenance and things like that can be quite costly. But um, the concert's certainly supposed to start sometime in April. Yeah. Um, as to the best of my knowledge, around the first time, concert yeah. I can see stage, they're on the 9th of April yeah. and then Bellex Mon are there in the middle of April. But... Yeah, I mean, like this, we also use it as a venue for, for, for arts, Mm. And arts and culture um, department in City Hall and the arts office um, have a number of bookings for the crypt down in the basement. Is it owned by the council, um, Joe? Oh yeah, it's owned by Cork City Council. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's owned by Cork City Council, and Cork City Council do um, 
you know, use it as a space to, to um, I suppose, showcase the arts and also as a from both a musical and an artistic perspective, you know, mm. and it's a fantastic venue. And it's something that I feel that we need to invest in. I had, I had a, a request in over Christmas time that we should light the church up on the outside mm. um, at night and whether it be for Christmas or all the year round. Um, because, you know, it is at a, a focal point of a very busy junction and a very busy road yeah. the north, going through the north side of the city. Yeah, it would be, be lovely you know? there if it was tastefully and carefully lit up at night. It really would. You have a, a motion coming up for it to, for it to be cleaned. Yes, to be to just for the external to be. I mean, if we're going to showcase it as a musical venue, I mean the last the first thing we need to do is showcase it in its best uh, format. You know, put put on its best clothes as such, clean yeah. it down, power wash the outside of it like we did at the church, the Presbyterian Church down at the bottom of uh, Summer Hill North, and it looks absolutely magnificent. Now that was done. Uh, privately, but uh, but I mean, what a difference it made, you know. And I think it's something we need to do at St Luke's Cross as well, um, you know. And I th- I think on the inside, then I think maybe uh, freshen it up on the inside in terms of painting and lighting and the internal, etc. So that when when it does regenerate, it's reopen itself uh, as a, as a concert venue, it will be um, an ex- a pr- pleasurable experience for everybody attending, you know. Okay, we'll see where that goes. I know that you have a pet project, Joe, and you're keeping it close to your chest at the moment. You want to establish a sports museum. Uh, Any developments there? Yes, PJ. And um, look, it's it's something I've been working on for for over a year now. Um, And uh, along with um, a couple of other people who... uh, shall remain nameless at this point and uh, but Cork City Council uh, we, we have it going in front there's a report has been uh, commissioned by Cork City Council a feasibility report which comes before a subcommittee the Community Culture and Placemaking Committee tonight and it, it, the report will be discussed but you know my, my general thought on this PJ I mean we'd be the first county and city in the country to have a generic sports museum and there's no other county in Ireland has the sporting um, history um, right across so many different sports yeah. everything from tennis to athletics to soccer to rugby to GA you name it road bowling mm. um, you know every single sport water sports equestrian mm. we are uh, leading the country in terms of our sporting heritage for, for so many generations and what a wonderful tourist attraction it would make in our city centre a tourist uh, a Cork sports museum not any particular sport every sport because Cork uh, we like to affectionately call it the real capital but in fairness, we, we are the capital of volunteerism, but we are most certainly the capital when it comes to sport in this country. Where would you like to put it? Have you a place in mind? <laughs> well, I have lots of places in mind, PJ, but whether they become a reality, <laughs> that is another thing. And a lot of it will be down to funding because getting something like this off the ground, PJ, would cost an awful lot of money. And, and, and when it, once it gets up and running, I suspect if, it's, if, it's, if the model is set up properly, it'll... it'll pay for itself but by the same token you know at the end of the day it's something that Cork has been crying out for for decades and I, I hope that this I, I've been working very hard on it now for over a year at this stage and I hope it does become a reality and I'd like to thank Cork City Council and and the person who did the uh, feasibility study on this 
um, you know, for such a magnificent report. I mean, it just showcases the potential of this magnificent mm-hmm. project, you know? OK, well, we'll see where it goes. We'll follow it with interest because I know even off air and personally have spoken to me about your, your passion for this. Uh, Councillor Joe Kavner, thanks very much. Angry reaction among the locals in Ringeskiddy after a call for a special emergency plan for the area was torn down by senior council officials. Now, it's it's just about a year ago, uh, today or the day before, or whenever, maybe the other day, since there was a major fire down in the Ring of Skitty area and people were very frightened by it. It was in the uh, animal feed plant, wasn't it? Councillor Marcia Dalton, good morning. Good morning, PJ. It is about a year to the day, isn't it? Or the 9th of January, yes, 9th of January last year, so not too far away at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, that's why I brought it up at our municipal district meeting last week, PJ. Um, it was this week, I beg your pardon, it was this week, it was Monday afternoon. Um, when that fire happened, and you're correct, it was in the RNH Hall building in Ring of Skiddy, where there was a significant amount of animal feed stored, and that's on the port of Corkland. So when that fire happened, um, it was perhaps most notable for the fact that we were particularly lucky in that the wind was blowing in a direction which didn't block off the Ringeskiddy Peninsula, which didn't blow over to Cove and which took the smoke, which was very significant, out over the top of the Crosshaven Hills and towards the sea. So we were really lucky in that respect and we were really lucky in the respect that um, there was nothing especially toxic that we're aware of in the smoke. So the people of Ringeskiddy at that time didn't know what was happening. Um, they've always had a long-held fear that should, because they live in such close proximity to industry, some of which is notably explosive, you know, it's defined as Cervezo, that yeah. they need to be communicated with should there be an accident mm. that might affect their welfare and safety. And all, all they got was social media updates, realistically. Well, the social media updates were created by themselves. All the, one of the Ringeskiddy and District Residents Association members spent literally hours on the first day of the fire trying to eke out information from wherever he could to put it up on their social media so that their community would know. And this was a a very significant lack in what we consider to be the coordinated planning in Ringeskitty in the Lower Harbour area generally. I do remember at the time talking to a man who's sadly no longer with us now, Brian Brennan. Brian Brian said that there needed to be some, because of the concentration of industry down there, Ringeskitty needed to be treated as a a special case for, for a local plan. Yes, exactly. And that's what they felt. We brought that up while the fire was still burning in the council chamber. And the chief executive was very forthcoming, to be fair, the fire was, as I say, burning. There were six um, fire stations from around the county attending to it, on and off. And he committed to the fact that after the fire had stopped, there would be a post-incident fire review, as he called it, which we could accept that would be a normal thing, um, and that that would be done in consultation with r h Hall themselves and with the Port of Cork, whose lands they were on, and that there were always learnings, he said, from events like this, and that when they had done that post-incident review, they would look at the granular detail, and I'm quoting, I'm using words he used at that time, of a post, they would look at the granular details of a communications plan for the local people. And he didn't know what form that would take. It might be a text alert system, something like the planning alert system, but he said they would look at that with a view to not leaving this gap in information as there was that time. 
So when I brought it up, um, Councillor Seamus McGrath brought it up in March. Um, it, that post-incident review was underway, we were told. And that was fine, that was understandable, March was quite short. But I brought it up a year later, which was this week. And we got a report from the Director of Services in the Environment Section, where Firewood sits, essentially to say that the post-incident review had been done and that there would be no local response plan, no local communications plan. Um, the major emergency plan had been looked at in the context of what had happened um, in Ringeskiri that time, and um, that they were satisfied that all, all, all that needed to be covered was covered. So that that's not good enough at all. So what, what, where, where do we go from here now? So all the councillors felt similarly. Um, we were all very much part of the lack of communications, what we felt and the local people felt of the lack of communications at that time. Um, and we are going back now to the Director of Services to ask for, truthfully, responses to the queries that, that I had asked in my motion, but that all of us would like to see fulfilled for the people of Ringeskiddy, which is that, okay, so you did your post-incident review. What did that contain? What did you consider to be the implications for the communities around Ringeskiddy to be? Why did you decide, if you did decide, that there would be no incident plan, no local, sorry, no local um, response plan, and how do you propose to fill that communications gap in the future? Yeah. So those are the questions that need to be answered, and they weren't answered. Yeah, okay. Yeah, many people saying that 12 months ago, people were pointing out that that could have been anything. It could have been a much more lethal fire, and, and there doesn't seem to be any special plan in place. Marcia, I'll leave it there, and it's something we'll come back to, uh, I'm sure, in the fullness of time. Uh, special emergency plan. People have been saying it for years, that because of the concentration of industry in the Ring of Skiddy area, it needs to be treated as a special area for as a special part of emergency response. It's one we'll follow throughout 2022. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie the lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 966 966. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 996 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. I have a stack of your comments on the €1,000 bonus for frontline healthcare and other such workers stack of them and also in response to Laura who was telling us about her her travails as a home carer for her much loved little boy Simon we had the two of them on back to back telling me about the bonus and then talked to Laura she probably won't get it if she did get it she would use it in a bank account to pay for the next time Simon goes to hospital which gives us a lot of perspective on life I guess I have tons and tons of those um, responses and comments and I'll get to them as best I can but we're just busy this morning I need to go back to the subject of education for a little while um, because the latest now is that there'll be a decision made in the next week or so as to what's happening with the Leaving Cert will it be hybrid or will it be a traditional Leaving Cert the teachers unions want a return to the traditional Leaving Cert Students want a hybrid. Others seem to be divided. It's 139 days to the start of the Leaving Cert. So decisions are imperative now. You have to make a decision.
very, very soon. Donal, I think you are a sixth year student at the Patrician Academy in Mallow. Is that right? Good morning to you. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be on here today to talk about an issue which is so important. You know, um, the Leaving Cert is a phenomenal impact yeah. on the life trajectory of students. And with 139 days to go, the one thing the student need that students in sixth year need is certainty. Yeah. Now, we're being told that there'll be a decision announced in the next week or so. Is that soon enough or does it need to be made quicker? So it is my belief that they will be debating it today at approximately half past ten. And in regards to a decision being made within the next week or so, that is what is coming out in the media. But certainly whether a decision is made within the next week or so or later, it is it is very important that the right decision is made. Yeah. Because across the country there are leaving cert students who are stressing about exams. In a normal leaving search year, people suffer from anxiety attacks, stress and pressure to complete an exam, which could have an impact on the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. And certainly that issue has been compounded by COVID. And I know that personally in my own case over the last 18 months, that it has been a very difficult period. So would it not be the government's responsibility, nay, the student body's responsibility, to take action to protect the most vulnerable in society. Yeah. So secondary, it's a moral obligation. Yeah. The Secondary Students' Union um, took up a very big survey in the last week or so. Over 40,000 individual people took part in it and, and overwhelmingly calling for a hybrid model. Is that what you and your colleagues would want as well? So what's most important to myself and my colleagues is not just that a hybrid model has come in, we believe that the concerns of students and their voices are not being heard. So we need to make sure that voices are heard. Now, in an ideal situation, we would like to see a hybrid model adopted in which students would have additional choice in the paper, but also the safety net of predicted grades if they choose to sit their exams. But students should also be given an option to obtain predicted grades rather than sitting their exams. And as the Ombudsman for Children echoed yesterday, there is no one-size-fits-all solution here. It has to be a choice-first scenario. But the issue does need to be resolved quickly, as students need certainty about their future. As you said, 139 days is not a long time at all to be sitting in an exam, which will put you into a course which could define the rest of your life. Now, you have a plan there, Donal, yourself and your colleagues at the Petition Academy. Uh, What are you doing? So, we've chosen to protest today against what we believe to be a government who are currently ignoring the voices of students across the country. We're protesting because we believe we are every bit as equal as the two previous years who have gone before us. And we have had the same level of disruption to our schooling as they had. You can't see um, the Leaving Cert as a one-year exam. It's not a six-year exam. It's a two-year cycle. And we missed three months last year in fifth year, where a majority of the theory and a lot of subjects is covered. And we were delayed coming back to schools uh, this year by a week. That is substantial time for students. And it's not just a student issue. I know in our school, in fact, that there was almost 138 students out of a school of... Uh, over 500. And let's stress this, 
it's not just students who are having a hard time. Teachers are having a hard time as well. There were 14 teachers out when we came back from the Christmas break. And teachers want the best for their students. They do. The teachers here in the academy and in other schools that I've talked to have been very supportive about a hybrid model because mm. they are willing to facilitate students' needs. So are you so talking about a, a walkout, Donald, is it? Yes, we are talking about a walkout. We will be walking out at approximately um, 2.35 and we will be there will be a demonstration held outside of our school for around 40 minutes in which uh, I will give a brief speech and there will be chanting and protests with placards about our issue. Is that today? That is today, yes. Today at 2.35. I don't think you can stress enough, and that's why I started count, doing the, the, the countdown of the days, the wheels of the political machine turn, as I'm sure you've learned in your... 17 or so or 18 or so years on, on, on the earth, they move incredibly slowly. They move at a glacial pace. There's no time for that now. Yes, bureaucracy can always take time. You know, it is difficult to make sure that everything happens because they have to deal with needs of students across the country. Like, it's not a one-size-fits-all. But, you know, as JFK once said, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Mm. And us as students have done just that. When our country did not come to us and facilitate us, we have brought that issue to them and we will continue to bring that issue to them until change will be made, until our voices are heard, and until students, nay, the citizens of this country, are respected. Do you know what? When I listen to yourself and the likes of you and people who were talking on the programme Last week, uh, other students were around the city and county. I, I think we're in great hands coming into our future with the level of intelligence and debate among our young people. Donald, thank you very much. That's Donald from the Patrician Academy sixth year class in Mallow. They will stay to walk out today at 25 minutes to two, calling for a decision. For goodness sake, make a decision and make it quickly. Let's go through some of your responses to the bonus, the €1,000 bonus. The retained fire service assisted the ambulances in a clinical capacity, giving patient care to COVID-positive patients while waiting on an ambulance. Also, was taking COVID-positive patients from their homes into an ambulance. But once again, the retained fire service has been forgotten. I'm a private contract cleaner in a public hospital. We didn't even get a thank you from our company for all the work we've done all the way through. I work in the private sector in manufacturing. I worked through the pandemic and our company paid us a bonus for that. So perhaps the likes of retail, private sector, their companies should give them the bonus. Like big bin companies make enough money, give their staff a bonus. Hi PJ, I'm shocked that GPs and nurses and GP front desk staff are not included. Did they not have to wear full PPE during the pandemic? Did they not see face-to-face people? who in many cases were positive, did they not see patients all through the pandemic? Did they not vaccinate half the country? Thinking about the pharmacy that helped me and others so much, delivering our meds to our homes and listening to our worries and concerns about COVID when we couldn't get out. They at least deserve tax credits, uh, says Burr. What about the post office staff? Not a post office worker, just grateful to them for supplying us when other things were closed. What about the prison nurses? There's loads of them here. Every one of the frontline workers in all departments should get a bonus. There shouldn't be a new holiday. That's partly how they pay for it. 
I'm exceptionally grateful to the clinical frontline staff and all the people who kept us going in a terrifying period, says John. GPs, pharmacy workers, truck drivers, Tesco staff, other shopping staff, they all went through pain and worry and pressure from their family in many cases for passing on the virus. I don't see why everyone else gets a holiday, but they get nothing. Politics, vote catching. Our ministers con- continued to financially screw Ireland, giving themselves high bonuses, and we're not in an everyday frontline position. They deserve nothing. The holiday is for everyone, not just for now, but for the future. The Friday after Patrick's Day will be a holiday this year, public holiday, and then from next year it will be the Monday closest to St. Bridget's Day. That will be a permanent holiday going forward, which I think everybody will welcome that because we're one of the lowest numbers of public holiday in the EU. So an additional one will always be welcome. That's just a sample of the stuff coming in and plenty of it is still coming. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. On Cork's 96FM. Staying with education, yesterday morning I was talking to Colm O'Connor from Educate Together about, you know, whether it would be best to move entirely to co-educational schools because obviously Educate Together are all co-educational and his own, his own experience was that he felt it was the right way to go. Now Colin Daly is Vice Principal of the North Mon Primary and Colin, ye did change to co-ed recently I think. Good morning. Good morning, thanks for inviting me on. Um, yeah, we changed this year. Uh, we brought it in along, and like I suppose, historically would have been a senior boys school from second to sixth. But this year we invited in junior infant girls and boys, and it's been fantastic. It has actually it has revitalised the school. It has given us um, a new lease of life. In what way? Honest, it's been fun. like I just think that I suppose even from my own experience, I I'd have attended the school, and it it had been single sex, and then going into. Um, a co-educational secondary school, it brings its own dynamic and it brings its own anxiety. Um, you would be, you, you're, you're unsure, I suppose, at that age, you know, going into adolescence and, you know, you're, you're talking about going into a class that you're unfamiliar with. It brings its own problems, it brings its own anxieties. Um, and it also leads then to absenteeism, you know, as a result of the anxiety. But like I think that there's 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 endless uh, positivity, and 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 it's a more natural way of, of education as well. I think. Yeah. Well, little boys and little girls they, they played together in the playground, and in the parks. So, Absolutely. So, yeah. And like, it's, what it's, prompted it's, the decision, it's, Colin, originally? Well, I suppose every school, uh, by their nature, is there to serve their community. Um, so I, I, it has been something that has been in in demand of us for a long time and we've kept been been looking to do it for a long time but I just felt that the change it was the right time to do it I felt that it was it was something that the we, we want to be able to naturally every teacher and every deputy principal and principal wants to be able to put their their children in front of them in the best possible situation mm-hmm. going forward because they're going to be meeting um you know all sorts of genders in their in the, in the workforce mm. later on in life. So we might as well prepare them now. Like if we prepare them for literacy and numeracy and all these different aspects of education, why not prepare them in this way as well? 
Is it a complex process to introduce girls or in a girls' school to introduce boys? Is, is it something you had to sit down and think hard about or was it just something to tell the Department of Education we're going to do it? Well, it's you. There's there's a long process to it. Um, you have to kind of, I suppose, show that there's a demand in the area, which there clearly was, um, and then you 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 apply to the patron, which our patron was, was was very supportive of us, and then you go to the Department of Education, and then you start making plans, and you you ensure that the the facilities, I suppose, and the the everything is catered for that 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 the children would need. Yeah. Um, thankfully, that that has been done, and <laughs> it's like they've always been here now. Um, they're, really? they're they're a great bubbly personality. Now, unfortunately, this year it was the first year we, we were we were looking forward to doing a Christmas show for the first time. I suppose in, in, introducing junior infant girls and boys, but we couldn't as a result of COVID. But all these aspects now are, are take on a different dynamic because of the introduction of the girls and the boys at junior level. Yeah, and so it's an exciting time for us. They'll feed up then through the school until eventually the whole primary school will be co-ed in, in, after a cycle. Yeah, it comes in on a phased basis. So, like junior infants this year will go into senior infants, and it'll go on so on and so on. So it'll be about seven, eight years before I suppose we're a fully uh, coeducational vertical school. There are possibly others thinking about it. Would you encourage them to give it a go? Absolutely, I couldn't recommend it. Um, uh, couldn't recommend it more. It's, it's, it's as 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 you, as I said, it added a new dynamic, a new level of enthusiasm as well to the school because you know. Kids of that age, as, as everybody would know, they're 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 a breath of fresh air, and they kind of they add a life. Even like you know, even at home, you know, new children being introduced to the home, it adds a new dynamic, new lease of life to 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 the home life. It's much the same in 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 primary school and secondary school as well, because I know in our own situation here, the secondary schools in the area are are thinking of 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 uh, amalgamating or going co-ed as well. And I think it's I think it's it's the way forward. I think it's the way education is going. Do you think, in the context, possibly a very difficult question, but in the context of the the tragedy of the recent week, you know, in terms of teaching our boys to have a better attitude to girls and 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 women, do you think coeducation would play a role there? Absolutely. Like I think, like. Firstly, it was, it, was a, it was an incredibly tragic event, and that, like our thoughts and prayers are with with Ashley Murphy's family during this time. And I think, like I can't, th- I can't think of a negative of 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 boys and girls at junior level being introduced, um, that would would harm something like that. Something that we need to address as a, as a society, as a nation. And I think having the girls and boys in junior level from junior infant. Um, from junior infants would only help that. Yeah. It's a more natural way of 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 edu- educating both boys and girls about violence and bringing them together in a in a in a better way. And and hopefully, I suppose this start the start of our junior infant class of girls and boys will be the start then of of this nation growing. Uh, towards a better future. Okay, listen, thank you for your time this morning. Colin Daly, Vice Principal of the Northmon Primary School, where they have started down the road of co-ed and in a full cycle will be completely co-ed in six to seven years from now. Thanks, Colin. 0818969696, back to the bonuses. Mag says, listen to all the messages about who should and who shouldn't have it. There are so many deserving sectors. I think they got this one right except for the omission of carers 
who should be included. Otherwise, where do you draw the line? Then another message. What about the guards? They were out in the wind and rain on checkpoints. They were being spat on. They were being abused. They were out when we were tucked up in bed. Well done to all the guards. I'd just like to clarify, read the payment to frontline staff. Firstly, I have every empathy for all the home carers and the tumultuous two years they've had because of reduced lack of support. My understanding of this payment is for those who had to work 12-hour shifts in full PPE with full and constant exposure to the virus. People have maybe forgotten what it was like in full lockdown. Only The only people going to work were healthcare staff. I'll never forget my days working in it, driving almost entirely empty roads to and from work, wishing at times I could be doing any other job. Many of us are having flashbacks, and those dark, dark days will never leave us. What's being offered is a small token for the Trojan work done and the mainly unspoken trauma of frontline staff over the past two years. Very hard to argue with any of this, really. A hundred thousand people will get a hundred million between them for turning up for work and do the job they signed up for, plus an extra holiday. The rest only get the holiday. Cue much consternation. Perhaps spending that money on ICU beds would be a much fairer solution. There's the full gamut, the full range of responses to it. Who should and shouldn't get the €1,000? We know who's getting it. Some people have been left out. Like, you could make a very valid argument for the guards. A very absolutely valid argument for the guards. But they're not included. Prison officers? I don't know. I think they are. I'm not too sure they included um, there's a full list being drawn together by the Department of Health which hopefully we'll have very soon I don't think it's on their website just yet but a full list is being drawn up and they say that people will get the payment uh, before the springtime we shall see 0818 96 96 96 Daphne Bernie says chemists worked 12 hour days delivered medication to people when they couldn't make it to the shop not to mention Uh, Bernie, the number of people who came to the chemist thinking they could get a test there or in the very early days before I suppose people got used to what they had to do came in coughing and spluttering and sweating and shaking looking for a bit of help with this damn illness and they spread it all over the chemist we know that happened so chemists and chemist pharmacy workers should they be on the list? 0818 96 96 96 come here, if you've got a new smartphone or a new tablet or a a speaker, a smart speaker for Christmas. There is a, an app you need to have, and that is our Cork's 96FM app. So bring it down. Just download it. It's free from all the platforms. And put all your favourite shows on there. Our podcast goes up on the app every afternoon. All our podcast extras that we do later, they all go up on the app. And if you have a smart speaker, like an Alexa or... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, 
Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Or Google or any one of those, you just go ask it to play Cork's 96 FM and it'll do the rest for you. 2016 the hits of one of the greatest bands of all time. They play this Saturday evening at 5pm at Cypress Avenue. Access all areas. The Carducci Quartet, in association with National String Quartet Foundation, come to Triscoll Christchurch for a show taking place on Saturday, March 12th. Tickets and further information for the concert can be found at triscollartscentre.ie. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us here at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on side. On Cork's 96FM. Government has introduced uh, the Online Safety and Media Regulation Bill, which is a bit of a mouthful. It's in an attempt to make social media platforms more accountable for breaches of accepted behaviour and to clamp down on things like cyberbullying, promotion of subjects like suicide or self-harm and other what they call harmful online content. The second part then is a pan-European body, but let's deal with the the first bit first, because you know yourself like if you put up a picture of something on Facebook, it can be taken down for a breach of community standards but then something that you think is appalling, you can't get taken down and trying to get something taken down off Twitter or off Insta or off Facebook or TikTok, any one of them, it's very, very difficult. And you'd wonder whether this bill, as as introduced, uh, could have any effect there. Adrian Weckler is tech editor with the Irish Independent and joins me. Adrian, good morning. Good morning. Do you think there's any chance that this bill will have the desired effect? There is a chance. There's always hope. You know, um, the key really is what you alluded to there a minute ago in how online or harmful online content will be defined. Now, the government uh, has kind of kicked this down the the road because the big question for the last few years for all of us, for the government, for the, the big tech companies, but also for you and me, is how we define harmful online content we all agree that some things are we all agree that illegal child abuse is absolutely 
can never be accepted. You know, we generally agree on the worst aspects of bullying and harassment. We don't really agree among ourselves on what robust commentary is or what robust or where the lines in robust debate are. If, if it's your opponent that you're slagging off, that's seen as being standing up to, you know, uh, f- for your righteous argument. If it's somebody on your side that's being slagged, it's all of a sudden harassment and bullying. That's, I, that's a slightly trite way of putting it. I, I know it. I don't mean to belittle any um, abuse that anybody gets, but I'm just saying, you know, trying to point out what we all know, that it is difficult to pin down what harmful content is. So therefore, this new regulator is going to have that task. And the government says that in terms of specifics, the regulator is going to ask, look, I need more guidance in law here on what I can and can't ban on Facebook. Mm. And the government will say, okay, we'll deal with that on a case-by-case basis um, as 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 the examples, you know, come up, basically. You mentioned Facebook, and let's look at it, if you like, the, the big giant that it is. So if if this regulator decides that A, B or C is unacceptable in his or her opinion and should not be allowable on Facebook in this country, so Facebook will say, ah, oh, well, so what? It doesn't breach our community standards. Ah, uh, no, no, no. No? I, no, on that score, I think they will have... Uh, some power. So if the regulator comes out and says definitively, no, I or we have decided that that post or these bunch of posts uh, go against what we think is acceptable and, you know, you're going to take them down and Facebook says no, then the regulator, this is this is the good part of the law. The regulator has the ability now to fine the platform up to 20 million euro okay but which is nothing up to 10 percent of their turnover that's billions okay now whether they'll actually do that or not is another question and there are very few other online safety regulators around the world to take uh, an example from uh, australia has one but they've they've never really imposed any a fine you know remotely uh, like that but there will be powers there for them to do that facebook won't be able to say no, 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 we decided in California that these are our standards okay. and therefore you're all going to live with them. Because that seems to be the, the, the present problem, that if someone puts something egregious up against me or Adrian Weckler or anybody else, yeah, I can, I can jump up and down and stamp my foot, but unless it ticks their boxes, I'm wasting my time. That will change this. It, it, will, it will change this. Now, it, but it's there's still going to be it's, it's still a very uphill task for this regulator, um, whoever they are, uh, to to perform the duties. For example, it's not going. To, a lot of people are going to be disappointed. This is not an ombudsman. You won't be able to complain to this regulator. Mm. Like the regulator, as put in place at the moment, is going to look in general at what the problems are, and in general, what the categories of issues of harmful content. Will be and it will deal with like a few NGOs and a few appointed organisations and it will bring those concerns to the big tech companies. It's not like it's going to deal with your complaint. So a lot of people don't understand that, and that that's a big downside. It's the biggest complaint of this um, this piece of legislation is that as it stands, there is no mechanism for you or I who are mm-hmm. outraged about something to go and complain to this. 
uh, regular as an ombudsman. Now, the government has kind of copped this and Minister Catherine Martin um, has said that they're going, they're setting up this expert body which will report back to it in 90 days on a potential mechanism to allow for direct representation. That all sounds like a major uh, mouthful, but really what it means is they're going to try and find some way that you and I could complain. But if you and I can complain, you see, um, that would make the workload of this new regulator much, much, much bigger. I see. I because see. And the you and I would complain well. about completely different things. Yeah. The other element of this pan-European body to regulate online video. Now, online video, Adrian, as you know, could be anything from an amateur video that I would take and chuck up on YouTube or or, or Twitter, or it could be Netflix, or am I overreaching there? No, you're not... Well, it, it won't really affect Netflix as much because it'll mainly affect... Um, the companies who are based here. So it will affect YouTube because Google is based here. Netflix, I think, is based in Holland. Um, Amazon is based, I think, I don't know where Amazon is, but I think so, somewhere Luxembourg, I think, uh, somewhere else anyway. Um, but it will affect YouTube and YouTube is a huge, huge uh, thing. So I, I, I would suspect that in in all of this new regulation and law that's being passed, that's actually the meatiest bit of it. It's not the bit that, we get the most attention because we're usually more focused on things like online harm. But um, this will be the the most powerful bit of the new commission um, because they will be dealing with examples and, and representations from other countries uh, as well. And as you know, online video, I mean, we, we call it online video as if it's some sort of a niche. For many people, online video is the TV. I mean, things like RTE or BBC, for people over a certain age, that's still the TV. For people under a certain age, that's not really the TV. The, the TV are things like YouTube and Instagram and TikTok. That's TV. That's, that's, that's yeah. your normal, everyday uh, intake. The other stuff is something you might watch a reality or a contest or, or a sports match. Or although, although increasingly you're watching now sport on, you know, either Amazon or if you want to watch football, you now have to watch it half the time and live score bet in a betting app. Yeah, anyway, that's, a, that's that. a different story. But yeah. like, what implications for say YouTubers or those who make YouTube mm. contact content rather does this have? Well, it, 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 they're ninety-eight percent of their. Um, issues come with YouTube itself because they're over issues like monetization and ads and uh, YouTube's algorithms. They're mainly they're out to make money. There is a small cohort for whom standards and harmful content and misinformation is an issue, partly because they're on the fringes themselves in politics. We have a few of them in Ireland. Um, and for them, they're that this will probably be an interesting new avenue for them, A, to be regulated and B, to try and make representations to um, if they feel that they are being, you know, kicked off or, um, you know, or, or curtailed yeah. in some way. But there'll also be licensing issues as well. There'll be some commercial elements to it as well. Big complex area, I guess. Uh, Adrian, thank you for that. A uh, lot to come with regard to this new bill. That's Adrian Weckler, tech editor with the Irish Independent. The online 
Safety and Media Regulation Bill. Now, whether it ever sees the light of day as actual law, only time will tell. <clears throat> 0818 96 96 96. Speaking of actual law and something that is about to see the light of day as actual law, Minister for Justice Helen McEntee was on her feet in the Dáil yesterday. Before Easter, I will publish a bill that will include new criminal offences for stalking and for non-fatal strangulation. The act of stalking itself is already covered by existing law, but I will propose the following changes to make it even clearer and stronger. We will explicitly reference stalking stalking as a criminal offence. I will make it clear that stalking includes watching or following a person, even if they don't know that they're being watched or followed. I will make it clear that impersonating the victim, then contacting the third person, that that is illegal. And I will update the law to ensure that it covers all form of communication. I want to particularly thank Eve McDowell and Una Ring, who have campaigned tirelessly for this. And Una Ring, as mentioned there by the Minister, joins me. Una, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on again. A happy day. A happy day. A happy day. In, in, in light of a very sad week, yeah. Yeah, it's. I think if memory serves me correctly, it's it's coming up to a, nearly a year now since we first spoke on yeah. on the day that that your stalker was jailed. Yeah, fourth of February. Is it that close? It's this day yeah. week or tomorrow yeah. week? Tomorrow week. Yeah, yeah, wow, wow. Yeah. 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 A lot happened in yeah. a year. Yeah, yeah, an awful lot, an awful lot. Yeah, we like we 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 were thinking we'd be another two years down the line before these changes would be made. You know, so. I mean, unfortunately, it's because of poor Ashling losing her life that this is happening, you know, but mm. across across the world, like, tragedy brings change and only for a major tragedy, there would be no changes made, you mm. know, so... Um, I think Minister McEntee was, well, she wasn't unopposed to it, I think, in, in any of your dealings with her, but it wasn't moving anything like as fast as you wanted it to. Well, no, she wasn't opposed to it, but the Department of Justice itself was opposed to it. Um, like, we were told four months ago that they wouldn't be revisiting it um, it went to we, we watched the debate in the the doll and or in sorry in the Shannon and like we we were told even though everybody all parties were in favour of it like we were told by the Department of Justice that they wouldn't be revisiting it until at least 2023 and even then they were quite happy with the content of the um, non-fatal offences against the persons act where harassment is is a crime but there was no there was no kind of stalking um, so. I'd, whether it would have moved or not, or whether it would have become law or not, it certainly wouldn't wouldn't have become law within the next like two years, I'd say. Um, but they were adamant that they were quite happy because they revisited the harassment law um, back in 2020, and they added they upped the jail term to from seven to ten years. They thought that was adequate, but like it, stalking is a completely different crime to harassment, you know. And the, it did it did need to be a standalone crime. Did. The, the website is still there for people to, to look at the resources available mm. and to contact yourself or indeed Eve if they wanted to, yeah, to, to, yeah. to to get help for their own situation. How are you doing, Una? Yeah, good, good. Like last week knocked me back definitely 100%, yes. you know, with Ashley's case. It does. It, it Like things like that will trigger you and it will bring you right back. Um, but no, like yesterday when I got I got the phone call from um, Helen McAtee's member of her staff that... Um, she was making an announcement and it just went on from there. Like last night, the phone was popping and it was just very, very, very positive. We're so down last week. We're like, you know, are we even wasting our time? You know, you just get fed up. Yeah. And uh, this is a huge boost, a huge boost. And it's just given us an extra push now to carry on with it. And we're, we will be meeting Helen McAtee the next couple of weeks. Uh, she wants to go through the bill with us. Um 
and to just iron it out before she publishes it. So that that that'll be great as well. Right, that's great. That's great interaction. Yeah, yeah. She rang me last night at eleven o'clock. The minister did. Oh, she did. She wow. did. She did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, so we, we'll arrange to meet up, and uh, she just wants to go through because of the the bill that we're, we've put forward is still going to go through the process that it was going to be going through anyway. I think what will sure. happen is the government are going to draft a new um, a new bill, and they're going to take parts from ours and put it into it. Okay. But the bill that we have drafted with Lisa Chambers that's still going to go through the process as it is at the moment. It's it's going to committee stage next Thursday. Sure. Um, so that'll continue separately uh, along the way but the main one the, the main stalking bill will um she she has more or less promised me that it, it will be passed um before let's say the end of the summer anyway she'll be enacted Fantastic. you know Fantastic. yeah it's brilliant it's brilliant oh, no, i'm uh, very very personally pleased for you because we've spoken many many times since that yeah. date last february and and i know you were looking forward to this day and you were doubting it would come so quickly but come it has uh, and i'm really thrilled for you and indeed for eve who i've never spoken to but would love to sometime that's una rink now there's nothing worse than trying to walk through town and getting a bit cut short and wondering where am i going to go well there can be one thing worse and that is walking through town with a smallie that's cut short and wondering where the heck can we go. I think, John, that was your experience. Good morning. What happened? Yeah, so basically we were inside in uh, North Main Street there on Tuesday with the two kids, five and three. We were bringing the five-year-old into North Main Street shopping centre there to get vaccinated. And uh, what happened was when we were leaving, the three-year-olds started to do that that little walk that they do sometimes when they've had an accident in their pants. Now, he's been out of nappies for a while, so... um, you know, we all, all make mistakes, I suppose. So we picked them up and we're trying to figure out where do we go. So we went down to Corn Market Street. The, that business there has, you know, put nice toilets underground, but they're closed because of COVID. Normally then we'd go to Debenhams. I mean, my wife has a good idea from being pregnant for a few years and having the smallies in tow in nappies where the good facilities are. But sure, Debenhams is gone. We weren't sure if Paul Street's toilets were going to be open or not. Uh, it was around 6 o'clock, so the English market was closed, which is another place that we'd normally go. So in the end, what we did was we just went to a pub, because to be fair, no pub's going to turn you away with a three-year-old who's kind of in a bit of trouble. Yeah. But sure, what pubs are open on Tuesdays now? And they don't have facilities. And with COVID, do they really want people coming in off the street when they're supposed to keep the toilets so clean? But anyway, we went to a pub there on, on North Main Street, showed our COVID certs, explained the situation. And lovely pub, but no facilities for kids, obviously. So we kind of crammed into a cubicle and tried to tried to sort the men out, you know. Yeah. So it just got me thinking, like, it seems like a very basic thing for a city to have. It's just a few public toilets for, for people. And, like, normally when we go out with the kids now, we go to Mahan or, or Blackpool because, one, it's safer. They can just run around the shopping centre. There's yeah. no cars. And, two, they have the facilities. So... Just kind of got me thinking. And one thing I actually did when I went home was I Googled, I just picked a country off the top of my head that I thought was kind of like Ireland, size-wise, and I thought of Belgium. Yeah. And I looked up the second city in Belgium, which is called Ghent. I didn't know that at all. So similar size to Cork, or yeah. over 200,000. And they have 100 public toilets. Some of them are attended, and some of them are 24 hours. And we don't have any. So I just felt it was just a bit mental. That's 100 toilets in the street in, in Ghent, like... Yeah, so they have them in public car parks owned by the council. They have them in museums owned by the council. They have them in um, train stations, bus stations, and they have some just dedicated buildings kind of sitting there, um, like public toilets like we would have known years ago. I think there was eight or nine of them in the city when I was younger. Um, 
So those kind of ones. Some attended, some unattended, you know, different variations, you know. Yeah. But a hundred was amazing. I was blown away. And I, I couldn't think where you'd find one in Cork. I'm not too well, sure we have. There's there's the, the super loo, as they call it, down by the library, but that only holds it's one. Broken. That's, it's that's broken. broken. for the last year and a half. Yeah, there was a fella actually I met at a foreign lad trying to put a few bobs into it during the summer. And I went over to him and told him it was broken. And he said, where's the public toilets? And I said, there's no public toilets in Cork, lad. You have to wander into a pub and do that thing where you're going to pretend to buy something and then make it look like you suddenly realise, actually, I need to use the toilet and then run out afterwards without making eye contact. You know, it's kind of a bit, a bit silly now in this day and age, you know. Yeah. Um, I, think it's, I don't think it's even broken. I think it was just decided to close it for some inexplicable reason. I, look, I looked it up, actually. I think it was just costing them hundreds and thousands of euros to maintain and it wasn't worth the, the yeah. investment. It was, it was apparently drawing the old anti-social behaviour. At one point, there was a poor yeah. misfortunate woman, I think, living in it. She used to let, her, right. let herself in at night, and she'd keep yeah, the door. She'd keep the door open with a with a case or a bag, and she'd keep down there. Now, that was so sad, but that's a few yeah, years. A whole ago. other whole other conversation of another problem we have. But that's the thing. But like, if you had a hundred toilets, you can't vandalize all of them. You know, if you have one public toilet, it's going to draw everybody. If you have a hundred of them, you know, it's going to be very little vandalism in each of them. You know. Very valid. The, the, the scale of it, you know. Very valid, um, very valid. John, listen, yeah, so, t- I hope everything was okay with the small afterwards. That's fine. He didn't. It wasn't his problem, it was my problem. <laughs> All right, Take care and thanks very much for the call. That's John. So, there you go. You're in town. You're cut short yourself. You can nip into a pub and you can order a coffee and do your business. Cut short with a smallie and cut short with a smallie who's had an accident. Where do you go? Where do you go? The Superloo is closed. There's nowhere else that John could find and his wife could find. And she'd been pregnant, they're two small kids. So when you're pregnant, so they tell me, when you're pregnant, you learn very quickly where the nearest Jax is. So they tell me. I've never been pregnant, obviously. But where do you go? Where do you actually go when you need, when you're caught short, in town? Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie When you type into Google, Google has this algorithm that tries to predict what you're going to search and you're going to try and guess which are the most popular. When should boxers retire? This is your last one. Retire is number two. Oh, right. Some people have gotten confused between the underwear, the dog and the thing because the top three are when should boxers retire, when should boxers be neutered and when should boxers be changed? and Ross in the morning with no DC Cars Blackpool for Skoda in the city now taking orders for 221 and always open 24-7 at noldc.com The lines are live and we're ready to talk Can we just talk? Call 0818 
when she won the Open there without dropping a set. Australia seems like a very, very different kettle of fish. We'll follow it, though. I, maybe Vicky can find out for me. Is she, is she gone? Uh, Andy Murray's gone. Andy Murray's poor Andy Murray is a, a thing of the past, really, if, if you ask me, that ever since his hip gave him so much trouble, he's never come back. He's never really been the player he was before his hip gave him so much trouble. 0818 96 96 96. Staying with Sport, the Premier League live back this Saturday at 96fm.ie with Trevor Welsh, powered up by Talk Sport. Three big ones again for you this Saturday. Everton versus Aston Villa at half 12. Leeds United versus Newcastle at three. And Southampton against Manchester City at half past five. That's all on the Premier League Live online with now. It's your sport on your terms. Streaming only the games that matter to you most with now. And listen Saturday on the Corks 96 FM app or go indeed to 96fm.ie. Trevor and the team back on Saturday afternoon on toilets in town Tom says yes we do need more toilets a lot were closed during Covid and never reopened I've been recently battling a urinary infection so I know what it's like on WhatsApp there are toilets in Merton's Quay Crawford Art Gallery Duns and Patrick Street upstairs in North Main Street car park thank you Marina went to a fast food restaurant with five children spent 60 euro woo, 60 euro on food had to eat it in the car and then they refused to let us use the toilet I know I know to grind your gears wouldn't you thanks Marina do we have enough toilets in the city do we need more public toilets where would you go if you were caught short right here right now particularly with a smallie 0818 96 96 96 now the white ribbon movement Sean Cook tell me a little bit about it and why it's very opportune that we speak about it today good morning uh, good morning, PJ, and how are you? Very good. Um, just, good. Tell me about the, the White Ribbon. Well, uh, the White Ribbon is an international campaign uh, primarily about men ending violence against women. It was a campaign that was established in 1991, and uh, it was very much uh, it came as a result of uh, a young man uh, going into a university in Alberta, Canada, and uh, murdering 14 women. Mm. And uh, out of that campaign in Canada, out of that particular incident in Canada, the White Ribbon campaign uh, developed and it went international then. And in Ireland, uh, the White Ribbon Ireland campaign is uh, orchestrated and managed by the Men's Development Network. Of which uh, you are the chief executive. um, Here in Ireland, okay. Yeah, and you're the chief executive of the Men's Development Network. Tell me a bit about your work. Well, our work primarily is, is around trying to engage men and boys uh, on a whole range of work areas, uh, pr- pr- primarily those around engaging men and boys around their health and well-being. Um, it's also around uh, uh, engaging them and being uh, an opportunities around being their most authentic selves. And also we're very much engaged with uh, working with uh, men and boys around gender equality and ending violence against women. So they're the kind of the three pillars of the work that we uh, engage in. I think one of the... One of the, the pleas from from the women of Ireland and the women of the world, indeed, in the past week following the, mm-hmm. the murder of Ashton Murphy was, please teach your sons, please talk to your friends, please bring change. That's not a new plea, if you like. That's, sorry, I missed that, that PJ. That's, that's, not, not, that's new. not It's not new to hear that. It's been going on for a long time. 
It has been, and uh, and and it will always continue to be a plea, I suppose, to a certain degree. And 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 in a way, I'm here today, really, to kind of offer kind of a route or an avenue in which to for young men and boys and and, and uh, to be able to engage in uh, uh, the campaign to end violence against women. Uh, I think, unfortunately, like there is that plea has been there, and maybe there are a lot of men and uh, young boys who are out there who don't don't know what the first step is and what they need to do and what they can do in in some very simple terms but also we are conscious that uh, there are structural issues and societal issues that need to be addressed as well but but there are steps and i think this is the the critical thing for ourselves as an organization and uh, uh, around what we should do in times like these uh, with the unfortunate and horrific death of ashley murphy is that what do what can what do men do at this point in time and uh, I think critically, it's, it's, it really is to allow the stories, uh, the testimony and the experience of women to come forward and to hear that story and to understand it and to, to understand their perceptions and their, their potential anger and their also their fears in terms of where they may be mm-hmm. and support them in, in getting those particular issues out there. So it's really important that we get that chance to do that and that uh, the men do step into that conversation with the women in their lives. In terms of that first step, and those of us, and those of us who first of all have gotten over the worry or the so-called worry of not all men, who, who know damn well that, that that's not all men and to even talk about it is, is inappropriate. But to those of us who would never dream of hurting any of the women in our lives mm. or even complete strangers, where's our first step? What do we do, Sean? Well, I think there, there, critically, again, I think it is the first step for us, we always say, is that we have a, we have a kind of a, a setting where we say, you need to step into the conversations with these things, which are family and friends, okay, with the women in your lives, and really listen to what they're saying and hear about their experience and what they need to do, so that you can have empathy in terms of what's actually happening here. You know, you need to develop an understanding and an empathy in relation to what happens. The second step is around stepping up and confronting language, behavior, attitudes that you, you that exists within your own world sphere and, and say, I'm not accepting that. That's not okay. Okay. And you need to kind of enforce that. And you need to do that safely as well. And then thirdly, you do need to sometimes step back. Uh, and like we, what we have done over the past 10, 10 days or so is step back and allow the experience come Oh, are you there, Sean? So uh, it's important that we do that, and we you, reflect. So you dropped, you dropped, yeah. you dropped a step back and allow what come through. I suppose it's step back and reflect on your experience and your own privilege to uh, to allow you support the women in your lives to address the issue of gender-based violence or gender mm-hmm. equality and getting in gender equality. So there are no critical the critical steps. And I suppose there's another very very tangible step. But we would say is that even if you were to go and wear a white ribbon buy and wear a white ribbon which would show your allyship and your understanding of the issue so that when women see you wearing a, 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 a white ribbon or men see you wear a white ribbon that you actually have taken a practical step to show your solidarity mm. and also as part of the white ribbon campaign you can make a pledge and that pledge is to never uh, excuse uh, commit excuse or remain so about violence against women. So so they are very, very tangible steps that people can do. And when we talk about when instances like this happen, when terrible things like this happen, and people say, you know, men need to step up here, they are very, very typical 
practical steps that men can do to show their solidarity in it. And I think it's really important that we actually show that route to young men and men generally in society. Yeah. One thing that and I, I probably shouldn't be surprised because th- this isn't the first such tragedy in the last uh, number mm-hmm. of years. But again, <clears throat> it was the number of women who had their own account, their own story. Yeah. And something happened in the days immediately following Ashling's murder where people in my position, and I like to think I contributed in some small way, we step back and says, okay, tell us, tell us what you're dealing with. And the floodgates opened mm. of what mm. women are dealing with. Yeah, and I, uh, there's your stepping back, PJ, uh, you, to step back and allow allow the stories to come forward. You know, I think um, if we don't hear the stories, we don't know the experience. We don't know what's happening. Uh, are we are we put it behind us? Yeah. We don't have to go back too far in our own lives, or in our own society here in Ireland, you know, when we think about uh, violence against women. Like, it's only 40 years ago since the, the notion of rape in marriage Yes. was disbanded, you know, yes. that, that, that like, there wasn't that, you know. So, it's, so there's lots of various different things that have happened over the past 30, 40 years that has progressed our society, but it's still quite new. There, like, you know, the concept of uh, violence in the home and or even intervening in a situation like that within the home has only changed uh, somewhat, you know, because the the, 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 castle, the home was a man's castle and you didn't interfere, as we could do what he ever wanted to do. So, so things have changed quite dramatically over it. No, well, not dramatically, but they have changed. And uh, these are important changes in terms of how we move forward. And I think there is there's certainly been such a huge groundswell of emotion and sadness and frustration and annoyance as as well, you know. Um, uh, but we need, to, we need to really harness it in a very, very positive way. And uh, we need to find the most appropriate ways in which to engage men and boys around this particular issue so that they, they, they themselves don't feel uh, that they're being judged or that they're being fixed. And you if know? you want so to get a, find and out this more, is the work of White Ribbon. If, yeah, yeah, if only people want to find more about that campaign, I know your, your, your website is mensnetwork.ie and the White Ribbon Ireland mm-hmm. comes up. So all the information they yes. need is there, correct? Correct, absolutely. You know, and we, we would encourage... Uh, uh, young men and uh, and uh, 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 their grandfathers and fathers to kind of to come in and take the pledge and to have discussions with their uh, the young men in their lives around sports clubs, around youth clubs, and uh, in every environment, this discussion needs to happen. This conversation needs to be happening. Okay. Uh, and for for men to challenge each other in positive ways, you know, to say, listen, like, well, what would make you think that that's okay to say that is a really important kind of question. Sometimes uh, we're out and about, even having a pint, or are playing a game of football, or standing on the side of the road uh, with your mates, you know. So this conversation needs to happen in those environments. All right, Sean, thank you, Sean Cook, CEO of Men's Development Network, the line not the best in the business, but we 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 pursued along with it. Men's Network IE will bring you to the Men's Development Network webpage and White Ribbon Ireland and all the information you need about it is there. 0818 96 96 96. Were they supposed to build toilets on Grand Parade near the English market? What happened to that idea? Yeah, there was an idea. I mooted. Tourist city by backside, says Kevin. They want to get this one sorted soon. Hi PJ, I totally agree with John. 
Uh, it's crazy the city has no public toilets, just the ones in big shops or pubs. I usually go to the toilets in Brown Thomas. They're on the second floor. I bring my daughter up there. Twice last year, I was refused by a pub and fast food restaurant to use the toilets. I told them my daughter needed to go and asked them politely could we use it. I thought this was the better way. One pub said the note, they're from customers, and the fast food restaurant on different days said the exact same. On another occasion, after I bought food in a premises, and after leaving, of course, my daughter needed the toilet, I said to the staff member she needed to use the toilet. She then bent down to talk to her before letting her use it, asking her, do you really need the toilet? It's like she was asking her, is it really for you or your mommy? Uh, 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie we're back to the music. The Quartz 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro Just Eat voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Join the Quartz 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. So how is that New Year's resolution going? Are you pounding the roads or have you said, ah, to hell with it? Are you still eating well or have you said, ah, shag it, I'll have a burger just because it's Wednesday? Have you given up on the New Year's resolutions? Or maybe you should take complete new tack, forget all them and just build your own resilience. It's a, a term we've heard a lot of over the, the course of the pandemic. Resilience. What is it? It keeps us going through tough times and it's a skill that we learn. How do you go about learning it? Gillian McGrath is a life coach. Gillian, good morning. Good morning, PJ, and thank you for having me on the show. And I'm having a giggle here about your burger. <laughs> and I hope if you decide to have it, that you inhale it and enjoy every last bite. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I have this thing where I always look at a dry January or, or people who decide I'm not having any burgers and chips in January. I think that's the worst time of the year to do it because it's a dull and dreary old month. Maybe focus on getting ready for the long new year ahead and what it might bring rather than throwing yourself into some crazy some crazy resolution that you can't keep. Would you agree with me? Oh, oh absolutely. Would absolutely agree with you. And in fact, that's my, my, my mantra this year is new year, no new you necessary. Um, but instead to recall the point you made on, when you were introducing um, this feature, um, definitely I'm going to be intentional about building resilience rather than setting any unrealistic resolutions um, because I think that's really what we really what we need, you yeah. know. Talking about resolutions or re- resilience rather recently and I was asking someone like, what, what is resilience? And a very mm. wise answer was, it's what got you here through the pandemic. We all have it in us and it's a skill we can develop. Yeah. I love that. I love that um, definition that it got you here. Yeah, I mean, for me, PJ, I think resilience is really that balance between the demands that we face and the resources we have. 
at any given time. And by demands that we face, I mean, look, we don't need to look too far between anxiety, stress, illness, workload, maybe a new job, maybe you're returning to work, or maybe you're just mentally exhausted from this pandemic. So these all place demands on us. And of course, the resources we have available, and this is where resilience comes in. This is the toolkit, the toolkit that we can leverage from, but that we build on throughout our life. And that really echoes the point you just made there about it's what got us here. And some people will talk about resilience and they'll say, you know, it's about our ability to bounce back, the bounce back ability. But I like to think about it in terms of bouncing forward, because I think that learning, recovery and growth have to be key cornerstones. So again, when you said it's what got us here, it's what have we learned throughout our lives experiences about how we cope, how we manage and how can we leverage all the, the best bits? There's an, old, there's an old saying, uh, you probably heard it, how do you eat an elephant uh, one bite at a time? <laughs> We've all had to yeah. learn that over the last two years. You get one little moment of joy or one little couple of weeks where you can do the things you miss and then you're, it's all gone again. And we've just had to get used to that. And I think myself, and maybe I'm wrong here, but we're looking very hopefully now towards spring and summer at maybe getting mm. out of this or further out mm. of it than we've been in a long time. And I'm mm. personally mm. so excited about that. It's driving me on. Is that a normal reaction? Oh, I think so. And you know what? Hope at its very essence, I think it makes us human. And I think there's a spring in a lot of people's steps at the moment. But equally, I think that you can build resilience in small steps. And I think that hope is very much part of it. As I said, it, it makes us human looking, looking ahead, looking to the future. That's so important and having something to look forward to. And I mean, goodness knows in the last two years, having something to look forward to, that might have been a walk within a 5K there at one stage. But now we can maybe dare to to hope for maybe a holiday or a reunion with friends or whatever it is. Mm. But I think in, yeah, sorry, go on. No, you're going, you're, go ahead. Um, I was saying that in terms of building resilience, I think small steps, I'm a big fan of teaspoon size changes and my clients will, will, will know that from I me. That and uh, 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 Yeah. And I think it's, as you said, one bite at a time, how do you eat an elephant? And I think if we can be intentional about what those small steps might be for us, um, I think we're really setting ourselves up because while we can be hopeful, there's no certainty. So maybe it's about just finding our sea legs, as it were, <laughs> learning to, 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 to balance um, ourselves and, and what, what does that mean for us? And I think a lot of it is around acceptance, um, PJ, and that can be that can be a struggle because some people will say to me, but Gillian is, is acceptance, is that resignation? But I really don't think it's about resignation. Maybe it's about approaching life from a place of peace, you know, mm. as opposed to pain or anxiety. Accepting the things maybe that you can't change, as the old yeah, prayer okay. says. That's you, you offer a few tips, one of them being pay attention to what you're paying attention to. What do you mean by that? Mm. Yeah, I mean... When we talk about building resilience, right, um, you know, I, I have 
I have tips and these are on my blog, on a website, and I do resilience packages as well. But, you know, one of the things I'd always say is you need to look after your physical self, which is sleep, exercise, water, diet, etc. But then it's it's the mental stuff. It's the mental well-being. And, and by that, when I talk about pay attention to what you're paying attention to, it's about how do you quieten your mind? I mean, our minds tend to be in a tizzy, a complete tornado at times. So how do you, how do you quieten that? And you do that by paying attention to what you're paying attention to. So what are you allowing in? All this, I mean, we, you know, the news, oh my God, in, in, in the last number of weeks, has been desperate, you know, and I mean, there's a lot of a lot of negativity out there. Yeah. And equally, when we were in the throes of the pandemic, I know for for some clients and even friends of mine who would be able to recall every twist and turn that the pandemic was taken, and you'd have to ask yourself, is that serving me? Yeah. Is that helping me? Yeah. And I think these are really powerful questions. So by paying attention to what what what's getting my attention. Is, is it a frenzy? Is it the kids? Is it, you know, is it work? How do I slow that down? How do I quieten the mind? And I'm a big advocate for how you do that. And I, I'm a big fan of journaling, for example, as, as one route to quietening the mind. There are many, but that's something I find very, very effective. Just Just writing down random stuff in a book? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can yeah. you can write down random stuff if, if that's what you want. But there, I, I would always recommend. I mean, if you're not somebody who journals, right? Maybe have some targeted questions. Um, for example, what's going well for me? Mm. What do I need to pay attention to? What am I grateful for? Um, so even answering those three questions three times a week, spend three minutes, so three by three, I think that can be really, really helpful. But there, the main advantage to journaling PJ is that as a process, so, I mean, if you do it once, it's not going to really do much for you, right? But as a process, it really will help you to get clarity and understanding over your own thoughts and feelings because you're writing them down. You can label them. You can make sense of them. And there's great, there's great power in that. Yeah, you you mentioned getting active, and everybody was pounding the roads for the first week and a half of January. <laughs> some some keep going. Uh, I got back up on the exercise bike after a few weeks off it, and I may tell you, it's 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 hard to get back into the pattern. But you're saying even a small step every day. Yeah, and fair play to you for getting back on the bike. And um, yeah, I mean, building resilience, as I said, it's all about small steps, but they need to be consistent, PJ. But I'm a big fan, as I said, the teaspoon size changes, getting a 10 minute walk in, mm. a 15 minute walk in. Yeah, you can go crazy and, 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 and do your, your one hour walk if that suits you. But once you're doing, I mean, anything you do is better than nothing, right? So 20 minutes, commit to 10, 20 minutes, um, just movement, leaving the kitchen table, maybe where you're working to go into the sitting room, you know, just try and get out during lunch. And I mean, we're, we're blessed in Cork with the weather at the moment. So um, there's no better time. Yeah. You mentioned as well, planning something to look forward to. We are now kind of with fingers and toes. And if it can be crossed, we're crossing it, that maybe we can actually start to plan mm -hmm. for something small mm -hmm. to look forward to. And I know the joy that brings to my life. So, you know, just to be able to plan for something small. We've, yeah. No matter what Agreed. it is. Agreed. And, 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 
you know, often having something in the calendar is as good as the activity or task uh, in itself. I'm a big believer in looking forward. And and again, if you peel that back, what is that giving us? And it's back to the, the, the earlier part in our conversation when we spoke about hope. Yeah. It's, it's having hope. It's, it's looking ahead. It's looking forward. And what that is doing is it's, it's shifting your mindset to something positive. It's taking you out of where you might be in this moment. Maybe you're feeling tired, exhausted, or a bit down in the dumps, but you're, you're, you're looking forward to something. Mm. And again, you know, be it a coffee with friends, a, a reunion, a run, a holiday, mm. um, whatever it might be, pop it in the calendar um, and I, I bet you it'll do you the world of good. And lastly, you will mess up. Oh, you will. Oh, heaven's sakes. I, I, I do think, you know, false starts, slip ups. I mean, they're all normal. I mean, we, you know, we, cheapers, we approach this new year, new you with such gusto. I mean, I'm more of a February 1st kind of girl myself because like you, I think January, January's hard enough, you know. But to know that false starts and slip ups are normal, they're part and parcel of it. But I would always say it's about backing yourself. You know, falling off the wagon once or twice isn't going to derail your plans. Yeah. But just back yourself, get back on the bike, get, you know, back on the runners or, or whatever it is, whatever change you're trying yeah. to institute. You may, you may and, have eaten um, your body weight of cheese the other night, but it doesn't mean you can't start again. <laughs> Gillian, thank you very much for speaking with us. Gillian McGrath uh, at WordPress.com is her blog. Resilience. Don't mind the New Year's resolution. Try the New Year's resilience. Small steps. Small steps. We'll get there, lads. We're nearly there. We will get there. Oh eight one. I've been saying it since day one. We will get there. Remember I said, when this is over and over it will be, we will get there. Now yesterday we were talking to Louise Jordan from the Green Party about designing parks especially for girls. And how they don't design the parks with girls in mind. They tend to, those who do these things, they tend to work off <clears throat> generic plans from other parts of the world generated by computer and just that's how, you, that's how you make a park. Bang, 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 bang. Well, maybe it's not. Maybe we should design parks with girls in mind, specifically teenage girls. So Moray Tuig went out to see how that idea might go down. I think like obviously like it's shunned if like we're in the playground um, swinging on a swing in a trail waiting for it so I think uh, if they were to introduce an adult uh, women friendly playground I'm sure it would be packed to the max because like you want them to have a bit of fun and especially like I said after the two years we've been through um, I think people are starting to really appreciate just the simple things in life and embrace normality having a bit of fun oh I actually think it would be so much fun because like usually if I go to the park now with my little sisters and stuff I just like feel like I'm just like helping them be standing there but, like remembering you know my childhood on swings and things like that it would actually be so different I'm not, like it would be a kind of a social playground where like there's no more allowed but do you think that women would enjoy that and younger girls as well 100% oh, take it from me anyway <laughs> don't yeah keep them keep your boys away I would prefer that and <laughs> uh, you know what I'd love I, you're going to laugh now I said do you know what I'd love about adult swings and slides and all those things and whatever. Do you know what I'd love? I'd love a ball pool. I'd love an adult ball pool. Right, one that's about 10 foot deep. I'd spend the day in there. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? 
the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, on toilets. Every building has a certain throughput, should have a certain number of toilets required. Same as they do with cafes, but for large shops, etc. And it should be law that the public can use them. It is that it is that way in places like New York. It could be external to the building if there's entry requirements. It's ridiculous, though, especially driving to a big superstore that has no other retail or hospitality nearby. And to be told, you can't use a toilet uh, before you go back. And now they all use COVID as an excuse for the toilets. Can someone explain how COVID doesn't stop you opening a shop, but stops you from opening a toilet? It's a good one. I remember being on holidays myself um, last year, or well, in 2020, up in the north. And there's a, as you go into the town of Coleraine, there is a massive Centra garage. I think it's Mahers, might be a different name, but I think it's a huge Centra garage. I pulled in to get some fuel in the car, and I was hanging. I was, herself was driving, I was hanging. So I went into the shop. And I was getting a few bits and pieces and I said to the girls, can I, can I use the toilet? She said, oh, the toilets are closed because of COVID. I said, I'm in a bad way. Where's the nearest public toilet? And she said, they're all closed. And then she looked at me, she goes, are you from Cork? She recognised the accent. I said, I am. Oh, she said, um, my sister's married to a Corkman. So she let me in to use the toilet. I could have kissed her. She let me in to use the toilet. Oh, God. So being caught short, uh, we've all experienced it in our own way. Now, if your dog is cut short on a beach, you could be in trouble. And if that beach happens to be a blue flag, Antashka says your dog shouldn't be allowed there at all. We don't have too many blue flag beaches, but where we have where we have them at the moment, there's no rule that says you can't bring your dog walking or playing or chasing a ball on a beach. And indeed, it's something that we all love to do, those of us who have and keep dogs. And they love it. A little dog loves a beach, loves a run after a ball, loves a dip in the sea. They love all those things. Ian Diamond is from Antashka. Ian, why would you stop us doing that? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, good morning, PJ. Why, why, would, why would you seek to ban dogs from blue flag beaches? Um, well, firstly, I'd like to say I'm personally not advocating uh, Antashka and blue flag aren't advocating a ban of dogs from beaches. The, the criteria in question, um, the Blue Flag Award is a criteria-based award, a voluntary criteria-based award. Uh, the criteria in question um, relates to access of dogs and other domestic animals to the beach during bathing hours. And that's the Blue Flag Beach, which may be uh, the entirety of the beach in some cases, or a smaller part of a larger beach. Uh, it would uh, contain uh, a designated bathing area, and, uh, and as you said, I mean, we have limited blue flag beaches in the country. Um, all blue flag beaches are identified bathing areas and they're awarded during the bathing season. So uh, the restrictions in question, which would be, to be brought in to comply with the blue flag criteria, would apply from June 1st to September 15th. And, and within that period, they would apply basically to the peak usage hours. Okay, so they would be presumably between about 11 and 4 or something, is it? Well, maybe a bit longer than that, maybe mid-morning to early evening. Um, 
oh, 11 to 7 or 12 to 6 or something along those lines. Okay. And, and why would you ban dogs from the beach then for that purpose? For that time? Well, I mean, the rationale behind it, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's an international award and the criteria are actually the same everywhere. Uh, we haven't actually been as strict as we should have been on this criteria. The rationale behind it, um, it's, um, it's public health. Um, there are World Health Organization uh, guidelines on the management of recreational bathing waters, which sort of form the sort of the background behind the formulation of this criterion by Blue Flag. Um, it's to do with uh, fecal contamination, as in of uh, the sand and the bathing water mm. um, within bathing areas. So these areas are specifically designated as bathing areas they're, and are tested and many of them are lifeguarded and have um, uh, you know, ring boys and so on and so forth um, for that purpose. Um, so, I mean, the, the restrictions are there specifically to protect uh, bather and beach user health. Presumably a responsible dog owner brings a bag and gathers it up. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. Um, and most dog owners are responsible. But unfortunately, there are a large number in the minority, a large number of dog owners who aren't responsible and who do leave dog feces behind on beaches, on footpaths. You know, it, it's, it's, it's not just beaches that this problem is restricted to. But in terms of uh, blue flag is obviously what we're interested in. Now, presumably, the, it's the councils who manage the beaches and they set the rules. Could it be a thing that a, a beach might lose its blue flag status if it did allow dogs on? Um, yes, although, I mean, the criteria doesn't um, strictly prohibit dogs on yeah. the beach. Um, I mean, in, in terms of, I mean, the blue flag, a blue flag beach could be like a smaller part of a larger beach. So yeah. part of that beach could be designated um, blue flag, and then another part of the beach could be uh, designated where where dogs will be allowed. You know, yeah, on a leash. Yeah. On I'm, the I'm thinking in terms of some of the beaches in Cork that were blue flag for 2021. I mean, if you think of some of them, there's Barley Cove, Garrettstown, yeah. Inchidunny, Onahinsha. Like they're big beaches. They're fine big Inchidunny's East Beach. They're fine big beaches. You could section off a part of the beach in between the two blue flags where people are uh, advised to swim. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, 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 I mean, that's a possibility. I mean, the, the, the measures that are to be put in place in relation to this, I mean, it is down to, uh, would be down to Cork County Council in, in the case of uh, those beaches, yeah. Okay, all right. I wonder what people, dog owners, would think. Uh, thanks, Ian Diamond from Ontashka. Uh, they they say that they've, they've contacted local authorities to say they need to take steps to stay within the criteria. And dogs or pets, other than assistant dogs, are not allowed in the blue flag area, or indeed on a blue flag beach. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I love taking the dogs to the beach in the summertime, and they love chasing after a ball and stuff like that. And we would, we would, we bring the poopy bags with us, just in case anybody, just any any one of the dogs decides to have a. A chat with Mother Nature. What about horses, says this call. I often see it. And the owners never clean up after them, in my experience. <laughs> I'm sorry now, I don't mean to be trivial here, but <laughs> the size of the bag you need following a horse around. <laughs> you need a black sack. Uh, ban them. The irresponsible owners foul up the beaches. It's dangerous for kids and unpleasant for the rest of us. I know it's very unfair on the decent people, but it's even more unfair if your child gets a life-changing disease. Mary Jane says it's a disgrace 
that people don't let you use the toilets in a restaurant or a pub or a shop or wherever. PJ, if City Hall used their budget properly, they could spend the money on toilets instead of magic trees. Oh, don't go back to the magic trees. Right, have a listen to this. Let me see if I can get this going for you now, because you, you might get an opportunity to get very used to this song over the weeks to come. Have a listen. Tell you about it in a second. Oh my God, I can't complain. I appreciate that I'm not faced. I love it when you say that. Shadows, ghosts like hiding from the bedroom lights. Can't explain this feeling. Rest your head on my heart, it's beating. Hair tossed in our eyes. You never wanna close them. Time to be honest. One night, one kiss, one promise. Oh, I like that. That's got a certain ring to it. Yesterday, we were talking to Stephanie Wayne on the programme about Eurovision. Today, I'm joined by Patrick O'Sullivan, winner of 2021's Last Singer Standing, was last with us on the show, actually, Christmas Eve. Patrick, you are going forward to compete on the Late Late Show with that song, hoping to go to Turin. Hey, Patrick. Hello, how are you doing? God, it's so real, PJ, when I hear it playing on the radio, because I've been playing this on my phone to myself for so long, and, <laughs> and having other people listen to it now is mad. So, so tell me about it. Who wrote it? So, um, Nicky Byrne from Westlife, um, Danny O'Reilly from the Coronas, and Lark Hay from All Twins. Um, the three of them kind of collaborated together. They were writing some music, um, and it was in and around the time that Last Singer Standing was going on, and... Um, when Nicky was getting familiar with me and hearing me sing and stuff, he just, he approached me and he said, look, we have this song that we would love to have, have you um, record and put down and, and, and see what it would, what it would do for Eurovision. So it wasn't specifically written for Eurovision, but it was just this great song that they had and they mm. thought, you know, what, it might, it might have a life in this way. It has a very current, very pop mm. feel to it. It has certainly, I mean, a European feel to it in terms mm. of that kind of music yeah. is hitting the top 10, the top five, YouTube, all over Europe. It's got a lovely sound to it. Yeah, no. It's brilliant. And the thing, what I what I like most about it, actually, is that it wasn't it wasn't specifically written as a Eurovision song. You know what I mean? Because that's that's often kind of a criticism well, that it's, oh, it had sounds to Eurovision or whatever. Three-word an- well, three answer to that, Patrick. In your eyes. <laughs> sat in a, it sat in a drawer for five years. Yeah. Yeah. So you're now going into this equivalent of a national song contest. So you'll be performing this on the Late Late Show on the 4th of February with five others. Isn't that right? I will. Yeah, the six of us all together. Okay. And we get to yeah. vote? There'll be a live vote. Yeah, so it's, it's, um, they're doing a live public vote. And then there is um, a kind of a jury of, of Irish industry people. And then they've, they've introduced a kind of a, an international jury as well of people who know about Eurovision from from different countries, you know what I mean, to try and get a kind of an international um, opinion on the songs, which I think is a great idea, actually, because that's what you're trying to do at the end of the day, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. everyone else you're trying to do yeah. it over. We, we have had bad luck in, in recent times, and a lot of people who are into Eurovision, maybe one of them, have said we need to regroup, we need to look at what we do well, we need to compare it to what the rest of the Eurovision world is now doing well, and go in and fight them at their own game. This is a damn good song. Yeah. I haven't heard any of the other ones. How much would it mean to you to get through, Patrick? 
I mean, it would be absolutely incredible. Like, I haven't really allowed myself to think about it much, but, like, growing up, I'm, I've never been hugely into sport and all that kind of stuff. But, like, um, the Eurovision, when that comes around every year, is kind of, you know, it's kind of the, the World Cup <laughs> for people who are into their music and their singing, you know what I mean? And I really have great, great memories um, watching it as a, fa- like, as a family, sitting down watching it together as, as kids. Like, So it has always been something that I thought would be amazing, but that's... You know, you don't really think those opportunities actually kind of come around. Well, on Friday night, week, uh, opportunity will knock. You're one of six finalists. Let's see if we can't get you there. That'd be great to have a Corkman on the stage in Turin. See what we can do. All right, Patrick. <laughs> listen, I'll play out on a quick on a quick blast of it again. I like the song. I really, really, really do wish you well with it, and and good luck. And thanks for being with us today. Thanks so much, PJ. Cheers. I really appreciate it. Cheers. This is Beth, Patrick O'Sullivan. The song. There you go. Good feeling about that song. Oh, I like the sound of that. Patrick O'Sullivan representing Cork in the national final at the Late Late Show on the 4th of February. We'll see how he goes. Don't forget, um, February is, is a common, but January is still a long, long month. And we want to top up your bank account by a grand just to say thank you and Happy New Year from Corks 96 FM. Pop on to Instagram, follow our, our account, just follow the page, tag your mates, share it all. And sometime before the weekend, we will draw somebody and pop their bank account with a thousand euro. It's happening soon. Get in and follow us on Insta and do it right now. The program edited by Fiona Corker and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Oh, I love that song. Talk to you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.